Good morning. Please join me in the prayer of guidance. Lord, open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with glad hearts what are you saying to this. Amen. The scripture today comes from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. Now the company of believers was of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything which he possessed was his own, but everything that they had was in common and for the use of all. And with great strength and ability and power, the apostles delivered their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the great grace, loving kindness, and favor and goodwill rests richly upon them. Nor was there a destitute or needy person among them. For as many as were owners of land or houses, property to sell them, and one by one they bought, gave back, and the amount they received from their sales. And they laid it at the feet of the apostles. Their distribution was made according to what everyone had that they needed. Now Joseph, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, was surnamed Barnabas by the apostle, by the apostles, which interpreted means son of encouragement, sold a field which belonged to him and bought the sum of money and laid it at the feet of the apostles. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Tammy. Well, we're, we're in Acts, and what I wanted to do was take a moment uh, to go through and do some summarization of where we have been in Acts. The first four chapters of Acts are, are filled with quite a bit, and uh, uh, it begins appropriately with Jesus and his ascension. In chapter 1, of the, in those first verses, Jesus gives instructions to the disciples to go into all the world, into Judea and Samaria and, and beyond, and to spread the good news. And then he also tells them that they are to go into Jerusalem, and they are to wait there. For the, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they are to pray. And so the obedient disciples go back, waiting for the day of Pentecost. I think you figure it's maybe a week to ten days uh, that they have to do that. And so then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and uh, Peter preaches that dynamic gospel sermon that focuses on the Old Testament prophecies, how they are fulfilled in Jesus, his death on the cross for their sins, and his resurrection. And the resurrection is actually more of an emphasis we find in preaching in Acts than it may be in most preaching today. We tend to focus on the cross of Christ, and maybe that's because there's a guilt element there that Christ should die for us and to bring people emotionally to God through that. But for the uh, disciples, it was the resurrection. Uh, The cross, the grave, and the resurrection are one work of God together. If Jesus had simply died on the cross without the resurrection, if he had simply been buried and that was the end of it, then the power of the cross would have been robbed. But it is those things together that create the good news for us. So he preaches that uh, 3,000 repent, 3,000 men it tells us. We don't know how many women, but if it's the ratio is the same as in churches today, it was probably six to 9,000 women and 3,000 men. But uh, maybe, maybe it wasn't that same ratio. So the church grows. We're told at the end of chapter 2 
that the church grew, and it grew in wonderful and magnificent ways. The people are breaking bread together daily, that they are praying together, uh, that they have all things in common, they're sharing with each other. One of the reasons historians say culturally that may have happened was because Pentecost uh, Passover and Pentecost were huge festivals and brought in uh, hundreds of thousands of visitors into Jerusalem to come to the temple for those days. And many of them would have been ones who came to faith in Jesus Christ and were baptized and became part of the fellowship of believers, but they didn't have any property. They hadn't come expecting to stay, and they wanted to stay to learn from the apostles so that they could go back into their home villages and tell the story. And so they ended up overstaying their visits in Jerusalem, and so people had to share. And so the church, it's interesting, begins as a sharing community. It begins as a community that sees the importance of each person looking not for their own needs, but for the needs of others. And I think that's very important and something we'll talk about some more. Uh, Then Peter and John heal a lame man, a man who has been lame from birth. He has never walked. He's in his 40s. And because of that, Peter and John are are thrown into jail short term while the religious leaders and political leaders figure out what to do with them. Because you can imagine when they realize these folks were with Jesus and they're preaching resurrection, you have one group, the Sadducees, who don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in spirits. Then you have the other group, the Pharisees, who do. So Peter very wisely in talking to that group when they're trying to get out of him, who are you and what is it you're trying to accomplish here? He, he talks about the resurrection knowing that the Pharisees are going to side with him and he'll split the opposition. So a little bit of wisdom going on there from, from God. So uh, they are in prison but a short term and then, and then they are released uh, from the prison because the leaders aren't quite sure what to do with them. Uh, but they tell them not to preach anymore, to which Peter says, uh, try and stop me. Then uh, when Peter does share the gospel, 5,000 more believe and are saved, and the church grows in grace. This is where we are today at the end of chapter 4, believers sharing again with each other. It's sort of at the end of chapter 2 and chapter 4, we are given a snapshot of the nature of the church. Uh, I just thought this would be interesting for you. Acts covers three decades. The first four chapters probably cover a few months at the most. So this is, this is the birth of the church, and so a lot of attention is paid there. And then you have the next four to five uh, cover three to four years, and then the next few cover ten years and so forth, to where you end up with a little bit over 30 years or three decades of the church's life being described in Acts. And what's great about that is if Acts had only been written, if Luke had only written about the first stage of the church, we would have this idea that that church remained in that wonderful, beautiful, uh, utopian vision of everybody sharing each other and caring about each other and miracles happening and the Holy Spirit uh, upon them and and God's grace uh, powerful within them. That's what we would have. But as we go on through Acts, we see that the church is persecuted. The church suffers through famine. And Paul has to raise funds to support the church back in Jerusalem. And that's one of the points, I think, as I was reading this week, I thought, how does this... How does this pertain to the church today? And I think the way this, this verse and the end of, ch- of chapter 2 have been used in the past is we'll hold it up in our preaching and say, church, this is who we should be. This is our ideal. 
we are not really the church until we come to the point where you are going out and selling everything and bringing it into the church to help the people who don't have. We're not really the church until God's grace is so powerful in us, it's amazing everybody around us, and we're performing miracles. We're not the church until we do these things. I think that's a huge mistake. There's a snapshot of the church at a certain stage, but it doesn't stay there very long. Persecution comes. And, and, and for any church, there are going to be times of that magnificent, uh, glowing feeling that the church has that, yes, we've got this right. But as human history and nature go, we don't stay in one place very long. And so we should give thanks to God for those bright days when the church, when, when we're feeding uh, 20,000 uh, students through putting meals together a few years ago on a Sunday morning. That was a great day. The Holy Spirit was here. I felt it. People were happy. Um, it, we, sh- we should give thanks for the, for the food pantry back there, that it's ministering to people and to their needs. We should give, give thanks for the community center, for the man who came uh, on Friday and told me as he was leaving, he said, I just want to tell you how much this place has meant to me. He's a retired professor who in his professorship days, it was pre-computers weren't really available, so he did everything in the old-fashioned way, but he comes into the community center to use the computer, but also hoping there will be somebody there who can help him with the things that he doesn't know how to do. Uh, I see (laughs) uh, we have one one person over here smiling, one of our volunteers, because they know people come in, and sometimes the volunteers know, and sometimes we don't, but I had helped him print something out, and he just said, I want to tell you what, this place has been a lifesaver for me to know that it's here to know that I can come and be welcomed and receive help when I need it and all too. So I wanted to share that with you because that's part of our church. We have those moments. You know, the um, last summer, the, the revival here with the bishop, when we had chairs filling in the aisles, uh, when we had 70-some people sitting over watching on video in the, in the, in the uh, fellowship hall because we didn't have the space we had so many people here. That was a great moment, not just for us, but for the conference and the people who came. So we have these great moments, and we give thanks and we hold them up. But God is also there in our mess. <laughs> Church can be messy. Leadership can, can mess up. And sometimes it's the pastor, and sometimes it's the lay leadership, and sometimes it's everybody combined, and we kind of get off course, and we go through dark valleys, and, and we're depressed. And that's the danger time for any church because folks who say, well, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I'm going off and find the perfect church down the street. And it says on their sign that they're perfect, that they love everybody, and they, they love God. And so that's the church for me because this church, apparently they don't do that. That's a huge trap in our time as we've gotten into this era of church shopping. And people generally don't find that perfect church, the first church, or the second church, third, or fourth, or ever. I've got a relative who's been to so many different churches over the years looking for the perfect church. But churches are only perfect for moments in time. The rest of the time, by by God's grace, we're perfect. But the rest of the time, we struggle. And God cares most about us, I believe, in those struggling times. And that's the hardest time to keep faith. I've got here some um, church uh, vision statements. Y'all know church vision statements tend to very much paint the church as we have this vision of perfection. 
And there's no room for visioning anything that isn't perfect. And when we do that, folks, what tends to happen is we become works-oriented because we stop looking to God for the holiness and perfection, and we begin to look at each other, and we begin to disapprove of each other, and we have somebody who's not carrying their load. And we have, so we start to write rules. Here are the rules of our church, so we'll keep you in line. I want you to notice in Acts chapter 4, they don't talk anything about rules or laws or anything. It was the grace of God within them that was lifting them up. God was lifting them up. They were faithful to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was what was lifting them up. But what we tend to do in churches to gain perfection in the church, we make a lot of rules that people have to abide by. If you don't, we kick you out. Uh, we're not going to put up. A, you know, if, if the church was judging who should go to hell and who should go to heaven, I shudder for all the people out there because God has much more grace and love than we do. We'd be, that would be a bad assignment for us. But listen to some of these uh, vision statements that I found online. Ridgewood United Methodist Church is a socially conscious Christian community putting our faith into action. Now, I'll tell you what, if I go to Ridgewood United Methodist Church next week and I find that they're not doing anything in the community, I'm going to be mad. But... You know, they have said, this is who we are. We are socially conscious. We are, we are putting our faith into action. Well, that's a good thing. Westmont is a God-centered church. They're not centered on the building. They're not centered on the, how much money is in the bank account or any of those things. That, that stuff doesn't matter to them. Intentionally encouraging a vibrant relationship with Christ in partnership with the community through service and prayer. Now, you can go on in most of the vision statements sound like this. And you know, we have a vision statement that talks about that we're going to go out and we're going to share the gospel and we're going to bring people in and, 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 and as they become believers, they're, they're going to be trained so they can be sent back out to bring others to Christ. This is a great vision. But in reality, we're not all in on that. You know, most churches, very little of that is happening. But here, here's the one I loved. In fact, I'm going to recommend this. Uh, uh, Larry, I'll get your... Uh, Advice Larry and Faye next uh, after the service. You tell me if this would be a good one for our church, and I'll take it to the church council. This is the only one, Cornerstone United Methodist Church, is the only one that I felt was dealing in reality. We are a dysfunctional family. <laughs> I love that humility. I thought that was us perfect. Yeah, I loved it. Never thought of using that word. Okay. We are a, we'll be a hyper dysfunctional family. We'll, we'll outdo cornerstone see if they can compete we are a dysfunctional family that helps others discover a functionally authentic relationship with jesus christ in other words we're not bringing people in so that they can learn from us how to be functional because we're dysfunctional but we're going to point them to jesus christ and maybe he can do something with them that is so honest and so when i look at this uh this passage in Acts and I see that church I don't want to be one who says well if my church doesn't match up to that doesn't get up to that standard I'm leaving and a lot of churches have been established all through this nation every day some church starts meeting in a house someplace because they are going to get it right and they're going to be the Acts 2 and Acts 4 church doing it exactly right and it doesn't work because we are not lifted up by our intentions or our works, or our plans, or even our dreams. We are lifted up when we connect into the dreams of God. 
when God's grace lifts us up and his power lifts us up, if we are dependent upon God and we say, Lord, uh, we're going through some dark times right now, but we know you are with us in the valley of the shadow of death and this church can go on if we will just get over ourselves and start trusting in you. So that's the message I got from Acts chapter 4. Not this is what we have to be, but this is a church that is totally reliant on God. And later on, you're going to see they move away from that. They have disputes. They have arguments and things. Every church does that when we leave our dependency upon God and we begin to depend upon our own dreams, our own visions, our own plans. So what is it, the, the, the times that I think we get it right? I think we get it right when we lift God up in Jesus Christ and we say, okay, this may seem strange, but it seems to fit in with, with God's plan. Let's do this. I think it's the time that we take risks. Uh, you know, I am faced with on online constantly the face of churches that are dying. I hear pastors when we interview them at the district level or the conference level talking about that little church that they're saving, serving and there's no hope for this church and it's everybody's over 80 and there are no young people there. And You know, I, I hear these stories all the time. And we could be there, too, if we didn't take a risk. Occasionally, I hear a small dying, quote, dying church that took a risk. And you read this story, this great story, that they've been lifted up again. They took a risk, not relying on their resources, but on God. And suddenly, the church has experienced the power of the Holy Spirit and the the power of God's grace. That's inspiring. But I wonder sometimes why more churches won't do that. We're going to be doing honey this, uh, I'll tell you what, bees are a risky business. You know, we discovered that. I was like, oh, we don't need to wrap the hives this winter. I never wrapped them back in, in uh, tide water. They don't need to be wrapped here. Well, we lost a bunch of hives. Now we've up. We've got five hives, and I'm going to split one, and I, I'm hoping for six. I, I may split it this week while we're in there doing all this stuff. But you've got to be in there working on these hives, but they're a risk. And, and, you know, if, if the hives all died except that one that survived by God's grace and we had just said, well, forget this, we're all over it, it's, it's, not, we, it's not easy, we're not going to do this anymore, then there wouldn't be the hope of funds to support mission projects down the road. So we have to rely on God and say, God, you know these bees better than I do. I get so frustrated with the bees sometimes, you know. I want them to draw the comb in this box And they spend all their time in some other box working on it. And I open it up. Why aren't you doing it? Here, I'll flip this one down lower so it's closer to where you come in the entrance and you have to go through it. And maybe you'll start doing something in it if I do that. And they still don't do it. Bees know what they're doing to survive. And I don't. Uh, Human beings, we all have solutions to these things. But we don't. It's the same with that beehive of the church. God knows what he's doing. And it doesn't always respond to our instructions and our ways and our actions. And so when we get it right, I mentioned before about some of the things that we've done. Mission trips. You go on a mission trip in this church, whether it's domestic or overseas, you go on a mission trip, you're going to experience the power of God's spirit. It just, it's just one of those wonderful things God says, you know what, I'm going to reward these folks for taking the time to do this, and I'm just going to be amongst them, and they're going to feel the power because of what... What, what is happening here. Mission trips are, are, are one place this happens. Another place that it happens uh, 
is down in this trailer park. Now, six, seven months ago, we had pretty much given up. We, the trailer had served its purpose. We had provided a home for Earl and Barb, and now it was time to sell the trailer and, and, uh, and get out of the trailer business. We felt that we didn't have maybe anything, any future purpose for this. And some folks came from mile seven. And they, uh, first I met with, uh, with one of them down here at Subway, and I had told them in an email, I said, well, here's 17 questions you'll need to answer before we'll consider this. Because I was serious. I didn't want something just that was not going to work. I wanted this to be something where they really put thought into it. And he came, and he had 17 answers to my 17 questions. And then another group from over there got together, and they came to the church council meeting. And finally, the church council said, well, let's see if it'll work. Y'all have a plan? We'll give you a chance to do it. Now, you got to re- remember, the trailer, while we have paid for the trailer, that pad fee is $225 a month. So we're a little concerned on, you know, having a trailer sitting there, and if they don't get this thing going, we've just thrown some money down, uh, down the drain. So we've got all these worldly concerns about it, but, you know, somebody's praying for this thing, obviously, because sure enough, yesterday we were over at Meads, 9.15 in the morning, signing the papers with the young couple who have a five-month-old child. And this is going to be their home for a while until they can get on their feet. In the meantime, there's plans that they're going to be part of some training things. Some, they're going to get financial uh, uh, direction and how to manage your, your finances. They're going to get all kinds of help through this thing. See, that's the church. That's the church of the New Testament. They didn't have trailers. They didn't have trailer parks. But they had people in need, and they were responding to the need. And so I thank God for this church. I thank God I that he sent me here uh, as a place not to just be uh, someone who could pastor to other people, but who would be pastored to, where I would see people of great hope and faith who would come up with things that uh, even in my most faithful days, I still had doubts, and they challenged me. And so this is a church, I believe, of Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 2. But we are going to have those days where we'll feel like we're in the pit of despair. And that's the time when God, who loves our messes, is going to pick us up out of that pit and say, you see, for a while there you were trying to walk your own path and go your own way. But just look to me. We'll get this thing straightened out. And if we can have that attitude that God can straighten out our mistakes, then we're going to be a good church. We're going to be a happy church. We're going to be a church that God is going to uh, bless our efforts. So may he always do that, and uh, may, may the church uh, find its perfection, uh, not in its works, but in the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this sanctuary where we come to worship you, and we pray that the sanctuary will extend, extend out of here into our lives and to every day where we would be holy and that where we would, uh, Father, uh, reflect the light of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for a church that can laugh, that can love, and I thank you for a church that knows that sometimes when we mess up, well, that's the time where forgiveness and grace is needed. And I pray we will always be such a church. I pray this in the name of Jesus, your son, and amen.